opportunity to worship together. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to lead your thoughts and think spiritual. And thank you for the opportunity to work together here. And we all are working together. We're all making sacrifices. We're all doing the Lord's work, and we should be thankful that we have the ability, and we should give all the glory to God for all that we're able to do. Well, I have had the opportunity in my job to work with some guys who were in the Navy, and not only in the Navy, they were stationed on submarines, and I found that fascinating. I just had to ask them some questions about that. And I think they're crazy. Uh, you would never, I could never do this, but they go out on these submarines for weeks at a time below the ocean's surface, a weeks at a time. And I ask, you know, what's life like down there? You know, what, what's it all about? They said, well, when you go in and they close the, the hatch, everybody on the sub gets sick because whatever comes into the submarine and people haven't had it, you're going to get sick because you're, you're in that confined space. He said, but after everybody gets well, nobody gets sick again until we come back up and open the hatch and then more bugs come in and then everybody gets sick then. But I thought that was interesting. I said, now, can you ever talk to home? You know, do you get any communication? Well, you can get close enough to the surface that they can send a wire up and they can get radio communications. You basically get a telegram from home. He said, they said, but when you get that, they're going to filter it out for anything that's negative at all. Like if the goldfish dies, they're going to strip that out because you're under the water, you don't see the sun, and it's very easy to get depressed, so no bad news gets on the sub. But one of the things that was interesting to me is that when they go out to sea, they're going to be under the surface for weeks, months at a time. But when they leave shore, they don't just immediately go under the water. They go out for shore for some miles before they go under and the reason they do that is they want all of the spy satellites to see that they're going out to sea, and then they disappear. So they want all the enemies to know there are submarines out here, but we just don't know where they are, what they're doing. It keeps everybody on their toes, the, 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 the mystery about that. I think we get something like that in the scriptures in Revelation chapter 10. In Revelation chapter 10, beginning of verse 1. I saw another, I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which, are, which the seven hunters uttered and do not write them. Why in the world would God waste the untold gallons of ink that have been spent preserving this account when there's absolutely no information that's going to be told us here about what they're saying? Why would he tell us there were some things that they were saying that they can't tell us what they're saying? I think it's sort of like that submarine that's going out to sea. I think God wants us to know that there are things that are going on, but we don't have to know about them. There are no wasted parts of the Bible, by the way. We haven't wasted gallons of ink preserving this. Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. There are no unimportant parts of the Bible. This account in Revelation is not an unimportant part of the Bible. I think he's telling us that there are things that he's doing. There are things that are going on that we don't need to know about. We just need to trust in him. But that's a tough challenge for us, isn't it? For us just to trust in God. We want to know everything. We want to know everything that's going on. We want to know all the details. We want to know all the scoop. But we're told in the scriptures that we just need to trust God. He says we walk by faith, not by sight. We need to take this principle with us in other areas of our spiritual lives. How does God answer prayer? We don't know, but we know he does, doesn't, don't we? I think we have another example of this in, in the study and topic of angels. I believe God has told us enough about angels to know they exist and to know that they're working, but he's left off enough information where we just have to trust him. I'd like to spend some time talking with you about angels. This is the first of what I think will be two lessons on the subject of angels. Angels are an often misused topic. There are a lot of movies and television shows that talk about us being touched by an angel or different aspects of angels that are purely supposition. There are a lot of religious items that contain images of angels or figures of angels, even maybe idols to angels that shouldn't exist. There are people who worship angels, and we know from the scriptures that that absolutely should not happen. So it is a misused and abused topic, and that may have caused us to shy away from considering what the Bible does say about angels. That's true for many subjects that get perverted. We shy away sometimes from what the scriptures actually teach when the subject gets perverted. And we need not to do that because if we do shy away from this, we're missing out on important truths. So I want to look at what we know about angels. There are literally hundreds of verses in the Bible that talk about angels. Hundreds of verses that talk about angels. And even with those verses that talk about them, there are still so many things that we don't understand. So many questions that are left unanswered about angels. Perhaps it's intentional, like the submarines. God wants us, I believe, to know that angels are there, have a glimpse of what's going on with them, but there's still a lot of questions that we don't know. And so as we begin this two-week study on angels, we need to remember some very foundational and fundamental principles. The first one is what David read to us in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. We don't know everything that's going on. Our brains couldn't understand it and comprehend it if we did. Furthermore, we don't need to know everything. We need to know only what God has revealed to us. When Nikki flipped over her Bible, opened her Bible to this passage, she had in the margin of her notes, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. 
And it says the same thing. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped to every good work. Are there things that we don't understand? Yes. Are there questions that we'd like to be answered? Yeah, absolutely. But you know what? I don't need them to be answered. I have everything that I need here. We need to have faith in that and confidence in that. As we talk about angels, there's going to be things that we don't know, that we don't have the answers to, but we know everything we need to know about them. Furthermore, we need to be careful that we don't delve off into the realm of speculation. And we don't start chasing rabbits in topics that aren't revealed in the Scriptures and questions that aren't answered in the Scriptures, especially about angels. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning of verse 3, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. When we get off into this area of fables or speculation. We've got to be careful that we stay within the realms of the scriptures. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, notice what we see beginning of verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn away their ears from the truth and be turned aside to fables. It's a real danger. It wasn't just a danger for first century Christians. It's a danger for 21st century Christians. We need to stay with what the scriptures teach. And so, there's a lot of speculation about angels. This speculation can cause us to go in directions that isn't, aren't supported by scripture. We need to stay within what the scriptures teach. And so I've entitled the lessons, Examining What the Bible Teaches Without Venturing Into Speculation. We need to leave it there. What can we know about angels without getting into the realm of speculation? Well, let's look at that together. And I want to caveat this with the, letting you know that a lot of this, this information came from uh, a series of lessons that Mark Copeland put on his website, Executable Outlines. And it is very thorough on this subject. I've thinned it down for uh, purposes of our couple lessons together, but I, we have to give credit to him for uh, the good work he put together putting this material together on angels. Let's start with the characteristics of angels. And what we know about the characteristics of angels. First off, we know that angels are spirit beings. They're spirit beings. They're called spirits, indicating that they don't have physical bodies. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, beginning of verse 13. Hebrews 1, verse 13. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstools? Are they not all ministering spirits? That's the key word here. Sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation. These are spirit beings. They're spirit beings. They don't function then as a result like humans. And Jesus makes a distinction between angels and humans in Mark chapter 12, verse 25. In Mark chapter 12, verse 25, you remember uh, Jesus, they're trying to give Jesus a trick question about the resurrection, like this woman had all these husbands and which one is going to be her husband when they get to heaven. You're all wrong. He says, for when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Angels aren't married in heaven. When you get to heaven, you won't be married. And that's a weird thought to think about, that you wouldn't, have, you wouldn't be married to your spouse. Hopefully your spouse is there, but you're not going to be married. You're going to be like an angel there in, in the fact that you'll be a spirit being in, in a spirit realm, and you will not be married. They uh, did reveal themselves in biblical times, 
in human form, but they are spirit beings. Furthermore, they're not subject to death like a human being. In Luke chapter 20, in Luke chapter 20, verse 34. But Jesus answered and said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are counted worthy to attain that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, nor can they die any more, for they are equal to the angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. So angels don't die. They're not subject to death. They're spirit beings. We do know that angels are created beings. Uh, created beings. Psalm 148, beginning of verse 1, talks about angels being created. Psalm 148, beginning of verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you stars of light. Praise Him, you heavens of heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. Angels are in that list of things that were created. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, Talking about Jesus, for by him all things that were created that are in heaven and that are in earth, on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. Angels will be in that list of things that are created. Angels are created beings. Created beings and we might mention an incredible number of created beings. They are told, we're told in the scriptures that they're innumerable innumerable. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, that we just recently went over. Hebrews 12, verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, an innumerable, an enormous amount of angels, Hebrews 12, 22 says. In Revelation chapter 5, verse, verse 11, Revelation 5, verse 11, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. An innumerable number of angels. And we also know from the scriptures that they are of a higher order than men. They're of a higher order of men. We get that from Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Verse 6 beginning, But one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. Mankind is a little lower than angels. But we also know that they have greater wisdom than men. 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 20. 2 Samuel chapter 20, 14, verse 20. Notice what we read. To bring about this change of affairs, your servant Joab has done this thing, but my Lord is wise according to the wisdom of, of the angel of God to know everything that is in the earth. And so here we see the comparison to the wisdom of an angel as being something that is to be attained or that is higher than men. Also, Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. Notice what Jesus says. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Angels have greater wisdom and insight than humans do, according to Jesus' reference there. And finally, in 1 Peter chapter 1. In 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter 1 verse 9. Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation... The prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. 
searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that, not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Angels have appears greater insight and wisdom than us, but they even desired to look into the things that had been revealed. And so they are of higher order of, than men. And as I mentioned earlier, they have appeared as men. Interestingly, we have no record of angels ever appearing as women or children. That's not to say that they never did. We just don't have a record of that in the scriptures. They always appeared as men in the scriptures. And so uh, disguised many times as men that people didn't realize that they were angels. They were uh, that uh, so much. They looked so much like men. In Genesis chapter 18, Genesis chapter 18, uh, as they come to Abraham here, uh, then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth tree of Mamre as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the door, tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground. As these men come, these angels come to, to Abraham uh, in appearance as men. These same, now two of these angels go to Sodom in the evening uh, in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 19, now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face to the ground. And we know how they were in the appearance of men because we know of the immoral uh, intentions that the city had uh, uh, when these two angels came to town because they appeared as men. And... Again, they can appear as men and people didn't know that they were angels because we read about this, I believe, in our class on Wednesday night. Hebrews 13, verse 2, Do not to forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, uh, some have unwittingly entertained angels. So people were bringing in people to their homes like Lot did. Uh, and this may be a reference to Lot or Abraham, or it could be reference to other instances where angels came in the appearance of men and people were hospitable to them and they entertained them unawares or unwittingly. And so they have appeared as men. We also know that angels have rank. There's not a lot of details about the rank that they have, but we know they have rank because of some things that are said about angels. For instance, in Jude verse 9, in Jude verse 9, Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Michael is referred to as the archangel, indicating some order of rank. Again, we don't have much detail there, but we know there is an archangel. In fact, there may be more than one. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So there's some rank. Again, we don't know much about that, but there is some rank in the order of angels. And we know that angels have free will. Angels have free will. This gets back to Jude again, verse 6. Jude, verse 6. 
And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Angels are able to do evil. Angels are able to have free will and choose not to serve God. These had done that, and they would be punished for that. And then finally, we know that Satan has angels. Satan has angels. Matthew 24, Matthew, Matthew 25, verse 41. Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. Then he will say, also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. There is punishment waiting the devil and his angels. Where do these angels come from? We don't know. We know they were created. We don't know anything else about them. Were they angels who rebelled? We don't know, but they, Satan has angels. And so there's some fundamental things that we know about angels. And in the remainder of our time tonight, I wanted to look at uh, some instances of how angels interact. It's too mundane, but it's important for us to lay some foundations for our class next week when we want to talk about how angels uh, are involved in the lives of Christians today uh, and what the Scriptures teach about that, constraining it to what the Scriptures teach. But the Scriptures do talk about uh, angels with respect to Christians today, for Christians in the first century. Christians in the life, I mean, angels in the life of Christ, angels in the first century, with Christians in the first century, angels even today, and angels in our future as well. We need to talk about that. But now, let's get to the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, we have lots of accounts of angels being involved with men. The angel of the Lord appeared to Hagar. We talk about how the angel, angels uh, interacted with Abraham. Angels, the angel of the Lord appeared to Hagar in the wilderness in Genesis 16. Uh, angels appeared to Abraham in Genesis 18, verses 1 and 2. We talked about that uh, just a minute ago. We had that verse on the screen. The same two uh, appeared to Lot before destroying Sodom in Genesis 19. We looked at that as well. You remember in the story of Abraham offering Isaac, you remember he's about to kill Isaac, and he's stopped. He's stopped by the angel of the Lord who prevents him from going any farther. And Abraham, as he sent his servant off, to find a wife for Isaac, he is confident that the angel, uh, an angel would guide his servant to finding that wife for Isaac. And so lots of interaction with Abraham and uh, angels in the Old Testament. Jacob in, in the Old Testament has uh, interactions with angels. Uh, in his dream at Bethel, you remember Jacob has the, the dream of the angels going up and down the ladder Jacob's ladder ascending up into heaven. The angel of God spoke to him in a dream, telling him when it was time to refer, return to Canaan. In Genesis 28, uh, this is the ladder, Genesis 28, verse 12, he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached into heaven, and there were an the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Um, Jacob wrestles with a man who's later identified as an angel. In Genesis chapter 32, verses 24 through 30 is the account where he's referred to as a man. In Hosea chapter 12, verse 4, it is later identified as an angel uh, that Jacob is wrestling with. Um, um, Moses has lots of encounters with, with angels. 
the angel of the Lord appears to him at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock into to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And so the angel of the Lord is appearing to him in this flame of fire. Stephen, as he's recounting this in Acts chapter 7, verse 30, refers to him as the, it refers to this as the angel as well. And when 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame, a fire, in a bush, in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. The angel of the Lord appears to Moses in the burning bush. In Acts 7, verse 35, the, uh, this Moses whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge is the one God sent to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. And so Moses is as the angel of the Lord that appears to him in the burning bush. The angel of God led the Israelites out of captivity, is said in Exodus chapter 14, verse 19. And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So the angel of God is said to be involved in this pillar of fire and this pillar of cloud that's leading the children of Israel out of, of Egypt. And as they're on the way to the promised land, we see that this angel is going to lead them through the wilderness in Exodus chapter 23. In Exodus chapter 23, beginning of verse 20. Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. And so the angel is said to be leading them as they go through the wilderness. You remember the angel of the Lord appeared to Balaam's donkey first, and Balaam's donkey has more wits about him than Balaam does as the, he sees that donkey and, and won't go, or sees that angel and won't go any further. Finally, Balaam uh, uh, sees the angel in Numbers chapter 22, verses 22 through 35. And uh, angels assisted with the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. That's a little bit out of order there, but the angels assisted with the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. In Acts chapter 7, verse 53, notice what Stephen says about this. In Acts 7, verse 53, speaking of the Israelites who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. So they had some part in the revelation of the law. Genesis chapter, Galatians chapter 3, verse 19 says that similar things. For what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. How all that worked, we don't know. But they had some part to play in the delivery of the law. As time goes on in the Old Testament, as God's people continue, uh, we see the continued history of God's people, we know that, that angels were active in the period of the judges. Uh, Deborah, uh, is told by the angel of the Lord to curse Meraz in Judges 5, verse 23. Uh, an angel of the Lord appears to Gideon in Judges chapter 6, verses 11 through 24, and consumes that food that, that Gideon had brought 
uh, to the angel. The angel of the Lord appears to the parents of Samson or the to-be parents of Samson, telling them that they're going to have a son and that he's going to be set apart. Uh, he's going to have that um, Nazarite vow. Uh, the angel of the Lord brings this revelation to Samson's parents. In the days of the kings, we have this as well. Uh, the angel of the Lord was sent to destroy the people of Israel after David's census in 2 Samuel chapter 24. In 2 Samuel chapter 24, you know David had violated God's will and had this census, and now the children of Israel are going to pay for David's sin. In 2 Samuel chapter 24, beginning verse 15, So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel from the morning till the appointed time, from Dan to Beersheba, 70,000 men of the people died. And when the angel stretched out his hand over Jerusalem to destroy enough, the Lord relented from the destruction and said to the angel who was destroying the people, It is enough. Now restrain your hand. And the angel of the Lord, who was sitting by the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite, then David spoke to the Lord when the, he saw the angel who was striking the people and said, Surely I have sinned, I have done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, be against me and against my father's house. And so uh, they, the angel was uh, punishing the children of Israel. The angel of the Lord was sent to Elijah to feed him. In, uh, in 1 Kings chapter 19, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse, uh, verse, uh, verse 5 beginning. 1 Kings 19, verse 5. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there was by his head a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So the angels involved in the feeding of Elijah. The angel of the Lord sent uh, Elijah with messages to the kings of Samaria in First uh, Second Kings chapter one verse three. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, "Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, and say to them, Is it because there's no god in Israel that you're going to inquire of Baal-zebub, the god of Ekron?" And so the angels bring this message to Elijah. In verse 15 of the same chapter, um, the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, Go down with him, but do not be afraid of him. So he rose and went down to the king. So the angels are bringing messages to Elijah. And the angel of the Lord is sl slaying 185,000 men of the army of Syria. In 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 35. Uh, there's 185,000 men that are slain by the angel of the Lord there in 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 35. During the captivity period, when uh, the children of Israel are in Babylonian captivity, uh, Nebuchadnezzar praises God for sending his angel to deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3, verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. So Nebuchadnezzar gave credit to the saving of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to angels. The angels also shut up the lion's mouth when Daniel's thrown in their den. In Daniel chapter 6, uh, verse 22. In Daniel 6, verse 22, notice what Daniel said. Oh, that's not right. Daniel, that's not the right verse there. Daniel 6, verse 22, uh, Daniel says, My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me. 
because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. And so the lions shut the, uh, the angel set, shut the lion's mouth. And then finally tonight, I think we can gain some insight into angels by looking at how they're referenced in the Psalms. And they're referenced numerous times in the Psalms. In Psalm 8, verse 5, a passage that was referred to in Hebrews, Psalm 8, verse 5, For you have made him, talking about man, a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. In, Dan in Psalm 34, verse 7, in Psalm 34, verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around all those who fear him and delivers them. The idea of God sending protection through angels. Psalm 35, verses 5 and 6. Let them be like chaff before the wind, and let the angel of the Lord chase them. Let their way be dark and slippery, and let the angel of the Lord pursue them. Instead of being a, an agent of protection for those who are righteous, the angel of the Lord is shown as a, as a method or a means of punishment. Five, what I believe is a figurative reference here, and it's definitely not referring to a cake. Uh, men ate angels' food. He sent them food to the full. Um, and so I think this is a reference to that spiritual type of food that the angels would enjoy that, uh, that we can as well. And then seven, Psalm 78, verse 49 he cast on them the fiercenesses of his anger, wrath, indignation, and trouble by sending angels of destruction among them. And so angels, again, involved in destruction and in punishment. Psalm 91, verse 11, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. This was a passage that uh, the devil misapplied to Jesus, um, uh, that... Uh, uh, that, but this is a reference to, I think, God sending protection uh, for us. Psalm 103, verse 20. Bless the Lord, you his angels, you who, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Angels give praise to God. We're going to see that in the book of Revelation as well as we already have in our class. In Psalm 104, verse 4. Who makes his angels spirits, his ministers a flame of fire. These are uh, agents that God uses. Psalm 148, verse 2, finally. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His host. So angels are throughout the Old Testament. As, 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 as I have mentioned, we haven't touched on all the verses even in the Old Testament. There are hundreds of verses in the Bible that talk about angels. I hope this wasn't too dry or mundane, but I think it sets a good foundation for us next week as we continue our examination of angels. I want to look with you at how angels were involved in the life of Christ from the foretelling of his birth through his life to his resurrection. They're involved in Christ's life throughout, the angels are. Angels were active in the first century church. We'll talk about that as well. And angels, I believe, are involved in the lives of Christians today. The scriptures talk about that. And then uh, they are going to be involved in our life, throughout our life, even through our death. And then ultimately into, uh, in, in, in after that, we'll talk about that. And then we will conclude with some warnings of them and our response to them. And so we need about angels and our reaction to them and our response to them. And so we need to make sure that we understand those warnings and that we're not in violation there. 
So I hope this has been helpful to you and maybe piqued your interest a little bit about uh, the lesson next week as we continue to look at what the Scriptures teach about angels. God is active in the world today. He always has been. He has used angels to accomplish His will in times past. Um, and uh, we will look to see if that continues today. What about you tonight? Are you a servant of God? Are you living your life for Him? If there's anything in your life that is not what it should be, there's no better time than right now to fix that. Maybe you could fix it where you are in your chair. Or maybe you need help from your brethren. We're here to help if there's anything we can do to help. Will you let us know while we stand and while we sing?